I'd like to read out of John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. If you have a Bible, if you'd like to follow along or simply listen, I'll be reading this from the Common English Bible. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. He removes any of my branches that don't produce fruit, and he trims any branch that produces fruit, so that it will produce even more fruit. You are already trimmed because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. A branch can't produce fruit by itself, but must remain in the vine. Likewise, you can't produce fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, then you will produce much fruit. Without me, you can't do anything. If you don't remain in me, you'll be like a branch that is thrown out and dries up. Those branches are gathered up, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask for whatever you want, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified when you produce much fruit, and in this way prove that you are my disciples. You know, there are many things that I've missed regarding our worship through the pandemic. I've missed the singing. I've missed the fellowship with everyone and catching up with one another before we got into our cars and headed out into another week. And as much as folks have enjoyed the outdoor worship and sitting amidst what I call God's natural cathedral creation, I've missed the close proximity with one another, where we're able to hear one another in our sharing. And connected with that, I've missed the moments of what Quakers often call vocal ministry, where folks share what God has put on their heart and how God has spoken to them in the midst of life. Now, we typically call that open worship, but it's that space where we invite and allow for anyone to stand and share what God is speaking into their life. And often, these would be simple words of God's grace in someone's life or God's grace in someone's struggle. It might have been giving witness to an answer to prayer or asking prayer for themselves or for someone else or a certain situation. Sometimes it would be simple words of praise or gratitude or the sharing of a poem or a quote that spoke to that person's heart. Now, whatever it was, there was a beauty, and there is a beauty in this simplicity of unrehearsed, in the moment, spirit-led sharing. And it feels real to folks because it often comes from the reality of someone's everyday life. You know, vocal ministry in our open worship often arose from a place of meeting God and connecting with God in the ups and downs, in the rough and tumble, in the stresses and strains, in the joy and celebration of everyday life. They weren't words written on a page or a manuscript that had been edited and re-edited over and over again. These were words that the Spirit had written on a person's heart, and a person in that moment could no longer keep it in or hold it in anymore. It had to be shared. They had to share it, and so they did. Well, this is what I miss the most, and I suspect others do as well. More often than not, when we would have a meaningful worship where there would be a lot of meaningful and heartfelt sharing in open worship, and sometimes Quakers call this a gathered meeting, and I would put aside my prepared message and we would just make more space for sharing. After the service or worship, folks would come out the door and they would shake my hand and they'd comment on how meaningful and inspiring that particular worship was for them. And then almost as an apology or sort of backstep, and they would say, now, not that I don't want to hear your prepared message. And I'd smile because, you know, I totally get it. I actually get it. And I would smile with them because I know what they were saying 
was true and meaningful and important, and I actually agreed with them. I actually agreed with how meaningful those worship services can be. And oftentimes when I would put aside my message and we would make space for that simple personal connection with God that people would vocalize, how meaningful and important that is. Because I think this, it's far more important to hear what God has to say than what the preacher has to say. Now let me clarify that. Now if what the preacher has to say is from God and God speaks through me or any other preacher, that's a plus. But literally, in the end, it's much more important that we hear from God directly rather than get our messages secondhand or thirdhand or fourthhand. Secondhand messages, they border mainly on information. Firsthand messages, though, are about formation, how God is seeking to form you and I into who God has created us to become and how God can shape and form us into those who bear life-giving fruit who bear love, who live lives of love for the flourishing of life and the flourishing of others. That's why it's so important, I think, to hear directly and be connected to God directly. Now, each of us, I think, is directly connected to the one who gives life and sustains us through all of life. This is the image we're given in John chapter 15. You know, as I read that scripture text this week, I imagined the disciples wrestling with the nature of the spiritual life as they were discussing it with Jesus and themselves, maybe just traveling along the road. And I think as they were traveling, maybe Jesus saw a grapevine along the road. And Jesus thinks, you know, this is a teachable moment. And so he directs their attention to this grapevine, and he explains to them that the kingdom of God, the spiritual life, is like a vineyard. And Jesus says, God is the vineyard keeper. And then Jesus says, I am the vine. And he says, you as, as the disciples, you are part of this vineyard and you are the branches. And then he goes on to explain that we are deeply and intimately connected in this way to the living Christ, to him. And we experience life directly because we are connected to the one who is life. This is a direct connection. It's a direct attachment, if you will, to the one who teaches and guides and directs and comforts and counsels and encourages in all its simplicity, if Jesus was saying anything, bottom lining it, Jesus was simply saying this, you are directly connected to me. And it's in me that you find life. And it's in me that you bear fruit. Now, to that point, a vine in a vineyard doesn't exist for itself. It exists in order to bear fruit. In this case, a grape. And if a vine doesn't bear fruit, well, then we have to assume that it's dead or it's at least not healthy. And Jesus makes it clear that a vital spiritual life that gives evidence to our connection with him is one in which we are walking and living in the way of Jesus and one that does bear fruit. There is an aliveness. There is a vitality to it. You know, I always think that this is one of the places where the Apostle Paul has done us a great favor. I think Paul did us a great favor by helping us to see and understand what this fruit looks like in a person's life. You know, for Jesus to tell the disciples that they will know you're my disciples if you bear fruit, that's a very important saying. But what does that look like in everyday life? Well, Paul describes it this way. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, all of these qualities, they're basic qualities of a deepened character. They're often what we would term as virtues, virtues that lead to a life-giving character, deep character, a mature character. 
It tells us that God is as concerned about our life in the here and now as God is about our life in the hereafter. God is deeply concerned about our own character and how we mature and deepen in it. And God is concerned as to how we live that out in our daily life. The late Eugene Peterson, um, who had a lot to say about the spirit life and even translated the message in wonderful ways to help us understand scripture in new ways, says this about the fruit of the spirit. He writes, fruits are not something made, manufactured, or engineered. They're not the product of the drawing board. They are not the invention of a genius. They are not the product of a sophisticated technology. They are the results of a life of faith created by God. And then he goes on to translate that same passage in Galatians 5 this way. But what happens, he writes, when we live in God's way? He brings gifts into our life, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Now, Eugene Peterson obviously takes some liberties in terms of how he translates what Paul wrote in Galatians, but basically what he is saying, and both Paul and Eugene Peterson are saying is, it is God's intention, it is the Spirit's intention to deepen our character, to produce this aliveness and this vitality in our life, which deepens who we are, deepens our character, deepens our own spirituality so that we live it out in life-giving ways in our everyday life. You know, I think the fruitful life is not one marked necessarily by more church activities, as, as important as those can be. Rather, the fruitful life is one marked by a robust and deepened character that shows up in life in the way we direct our lives and how we treat one another. And the possibility of this kind of life exists and always exists because we are intimately and we are continually connected with the divine presence that brings forth the kind of life we were created to live and God intends for us to live. Plain and simple, God intends for you and I to live fruitful lives. Lives that are lived well in which we direct our energies wisely and well. But you know, it's not something we can do on our own. I think that's the key. It's more than an occasional motivational seminar or best-selling book or even a special worship service. It really is an intention to live in connection and relationship with the living Christ and trusting that all we need in order to live fruitful lives with a deepened character already is present within us. As Jesus points out to his disciples, listen again, if you remain in me, he says, and I in you, then you will produce much fruit, and without me you can't do anything. Now I'm going to be the first to admit that I can easily drift towards living apart from this living connection, or to live in my own power, or to live in my own self-will. And some of this comes from my own pride, and some of it comes from a culture that says we can do it on our own if we just work hard enough and try hard enough. And so sometimes I end up spending my energies on trying to produce the fruit and trying to live a fruitful life, almost trying to will it into existence and to make it happen rather than recognizing that a fruitful life is really a byproduct of living a life in Christ, of remaining in Christ, of living and dwelling in that relationship. If you will, it's living in connection with Christ day to day in the happenings of everyday life. 
It's interesting, the language in the scripture text is that of remaining, at least in the common English Bible. Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. You know, that word remain has that sense of being present. Be present in a place where, in which you're in. Other translations use words like abide or dwell. And whatever word is used, it gives that sense of staying connected to the living Christ. And knowing that we don't have to go find this divine empowerment somewhere outside of us or somewhere external, that it's already within us, dwelling within us. In her wonderful little book, The Cup of Our Life, author and spiritual director Joyce Rupp, she reminds us of this presence within. And here's what she writes. This divine presence has made a home in us. Jesus said, make your home in me. And he used the image of the vine and the branches to emphasize that the same light that surges through all parts of the plant is similar to the life of God that surges through our being. God is no longer just out there. God is also here within us. The spirit of Jesus lives on in our own bodily temples. We have become the home of God. And then she adds this observation of our own life and her own life. And in many ways, it does sound familiar. She offers this. Some days I go zooming along, checking off all the stuff I have on my to-do list. And I totally forget that I am the home of God. And when this happens, I can easily lose my reverence and my awareness of all the beauty around me. On the other hand, when I remember that God has made a home in my heart and in the heart of each one I meet, I look at people and life quite differently. I am more patient. I am more kind. I am less judgmental. You can literally hear, I think, in Joyce Rupp's own words, how she recognizes the fruit of the Spirit being formed in her as she takes time to remember that God has made a home in her heart as well as in the heart of each person she meets. And this awareness literally invites her to shift how she views the world. She sees people differently, and she finds herself becoming more patient, kind, and less judgmental. It reminds us of the word, words in 1 John that I read um, at the beginning of the worship. Quote, No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us, and his love is made perfect in us. This is how we know we remain in him, and he remains in us because he has given us a measure of his spirit. We have known and have believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. When you and I receive and live into the love God has for us, and to make our home in that love, we, feel, we will not feel the need to look for it elsewhere. We will literally feel at home in God's love for us. We won't run away from this love and seek other ways to secure our, our identity or approval. We will make our home in God's continual and abiding love. As we make our home in this love, we begin to realize and recognize the same love makes its home in everyone we meet. Each person we meet is a person in which God's love dwells. I often hear, maybe like so many of you, that we need to get God back into this or get God back into that. But in reality, God has never left. God has always been present. And the most distinct way that God is present is in how we love one another and the world around us. It's not as much getting God back into this or getting God back into that as it is being faithful to love one another as God has loved us and continues to love us. As John so simply put it, those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. And maybe the reason no one has seen God is because we have forgotten how to love. Maybe the reason there are those who choose not to believe in God is because they have not seen God's love practiced or lived out. 
particularly by those who claim to be Christians or people of faith. This is not a sentimental, shallow love, but it's a sacrificial love that seeks the well-being and flourishing of the other and honors their value and dignity. I believe our lives and our souls, they long for connection. We long to be connected to something or someone greater than ourselves, to offer our lives meaning, purpose, depth, and vitality. So in our search for it, we often go looking for it in a variety of external ways, books, seminars, retreats, workshops, celebrity speakers, the latest social media post, a social media meme, or even a sermon. And you know, God can certainly show up in those ways, and God can certainly offer guidance and encouragement in those ways. But Jesus' own words, and the words of John in his epistle remind us that what we need already exists within us, and that being divine presence, that divine presence within us, and divine love within us already exists to offer us what our soul needs. What we need is already here. Joanne Chisitor, a wonderful writer, puts it this way. We wait for retreats, services, and grand gatherings to take us to God, and God is with us all the while, and God has been with us all the while. In closing, I'd like to offer some queries to reflect upon, and these might help give us some thought as to how we can respond. First is this. What practices can I engage in that will help me to remain in God's love? In other words, maybe I simply need to slow down, spend some time in silence, so I can be fully present to the love of God within me, to just remind myself how much God loves me, and to live in that love. Second, what character traits is God seeking to grow in me and what needs to be pruned in my life in order to make room for further growth? Growth. What is the fruit we sense that God is seeking to grow in our lives? We'll often know it, I think, mostly by what our characters are lacking, whether it be patience, compassion, self-control, or gentleness, just to name a few. And sometimes we have to prune or cut away some activities, some relationships, or even patterns of behaving in order to make room for this new growth. But what needs to be pruned in our life? Third, what are the abiding places that we escape to when we forget about God's love for us and instead we try to find comfort in something else that really doesn't ultimately breathe life into us? Now this is where some honest self-reflection really matters. These abiding places, well, they can be a form of addiction. It can be a relationship. It can be binging on meaningless TV shows, whatever form it takes. They really end up being substitutes for the real thing and do not offer life. They just only offer a momentary comfort, some numbing out in that moment. So what are our abiding places other than God's love? And finally, how can God's love be made real in and through my life? In other words, how can I make God's presence known through how I love? And especially those closest to me. This includes family friends, co-workers. It might involve forgiveness and apology, taking time to serve someone or to be present to them. It might even involve looking past the labels we put on others and simply seeing them as one loved by God. You know, when it comes to technology, we live in a world that is more connected than it ever has been, given Zoom, internet, smartphones, etc. But when it comes to soul connection, I think we might be as disconnected as we've ever been. So as we keep moving into this reopening of life, maybe we can reopen our hearts and souls to this living connection with the living Christ within, to live it firsthand, like 
the branches and the vine to be intimately connected to Christ and to know that Christ already dwells within and to sit with Christ and to dwell in that grace and love. And as we do, maybe we can also reopen our hearts and our souls to one another and connect deeply and with compassion so that our world can possibly see God and make their home in God as well. Everything we need is here. As Wendell Berry often says, everything we need is already present within us. Everything God longs to offer us is already within us. God dwells within. That's what the scriptures say. The living Christ dwells within. That's what the scriptures say. Longing to help us live out the fruitful life and to live a deepened character and to live a life of meaning and purpose and energy and vitality and full aliveness.